right. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Three Drinks In podcast, episode number 240. I'm your host, Vince. Over there is your host, Phil. Hey. In this episode, we are talking about uh, the unbearable weight of massive talent starring Nicolas Cage. Finally getting to this one. Uh, before we get started, we, we want to ask you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Please try try and leave a five-star rating or even a review. We'd really appreciate that. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 3drinksinpod. You can like us on Facebook. You can email us at 3drinksinpodcast at gmail.com. And for all your 3 Drinks In Podcast merchandising needs, head over to our store over there at tpublic.com. Mm. All right. So I'm glad that you suggested this because I had meant to get to it for a while, and it just like was one of the ones that slipped that slipped through the cracks. And I was like, ah, I'll get to it eventually. But then like it's not hyper relevant, and so <laughs> for like the eight guys who actually listen to this, it's just like, do they really you know want to talk about about a six month old Nicolas Cage vehicle? I, I don't mean, know. was it was it really that old? It seems like it came out not. I mean, I don't know. Let's uh, this let's is look the worst up. podcast of all time. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we should do some research to figure this out. You, let's wait until we're actually live. A bunch of yahoos. <laughs> Why do you people listen to us? Jesus, what's uh, the matter I mean, with all of you? I don't know. It came out in March. Okay. Okay. Was uh, it, it, it uh, South by Southwest in March, and then it came out in April in America? So, right. Okay. It seemed like it didn't feel like it was, but it didn't feel like it was out for very long. No, I think it, I mean, it's hard to tell now because, you know, things that go into theaters, it's kind of sketchy what goes in and what doesn't. And, you know, we're not quite normalized in terms of like a, like a, like a schedule. Like it's always like a, you know like some some films will make an effort to say we are only in theaters and like I'll see ads on like Disney Plus for a thing that isn't on Disney Plus. It just says like this movie is only in theaters. Well, then why are you showing it to me here? I thought I would begin to watch it right. Oh no, I have to leave my house. Not for that. Mm. Sorry, Walt. Not 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 gonna happen. Um. And so, like, and then, with like, this is like a smaller, like pseudo independent movie, and um, you know, it's gonna have a limited run, and then it's just kind of getting in there to maybe get some buzz, and I don't know if it gets a bigger distribution later, or if it just gets picked up by Netflix or Hulu or whomever or or what. But um, like, I'm not a big you know industry expert, and I've I tried to read. A lot about it in the trades and things. I just can't bring myself to care all that much. Well, you really got to into it. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those things. Like I thought I would be because I like talking about movies in general. But well, it's just—I mean—the business side of, of that stuff is very different from the the artistic side, you know. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. So, like, I tried to read the Ankler, which 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 is uh, the Richard Rushfield trade. That's um, it's you know it went from being just like a blog to being a Substack, and now they're you know they're trying to make it into a real publication. Um, 
and I just found that there were so many people and so many jobs changed hands a great deal. And it was just difficult to, you know, without taking notes. And, like, I didn't want to do homework. I was just kind of wanting to read about, you know, some of, like, the big picture decisions that were being made and who's who's in or out as CEO. And it got so granular that I just, like, I'm like, I'm sure this is good for some people, but just for me, it was just too much information. And so I pick yeah, up a little bit uh, from podcasts about like how the whole thing works, but yeah, it wasn't variety. His was hard to read, but it was good. It was like, it was clearly better than variety. It wasn't just gossip. It was like, it was a little bit of gossip because it's, it's Hollywood and you can't avoid that. But, um, I mean, if, if you want to read about the business side of things and with a bit of a smarmy edge, then I, you know, highly encourage you to to, to go su- subscribe to the Ankler, um, because it's you know it's very detailed and it's good, but it was just too much for me. Like I'm just starting, to, just trying to pick, figure out like you know what what all like the numbers mean and what's a good hold, and I just can't get too my you know too worked up over it. Mm-hmm. So, so what did you think of the unbearable weight of massive talent? I love the title. I'm a big well, title guy. Well, it's a play on famous novel. Which one is that again? The Unbearable Lightness of Being. Lightness of Being, yeah, by yeah. By Milan Kundera. Yeah, I haven't gotten to that one yet. <laughs> <laughs> I have read some Milan Kundera, and it's not exactly beach reading. So, like, <laughs> I, I plan to read it, but, uh, you know, I, I haven't yet. So. I mean, I have heard of it. That's that's for sure. But um, but yeah, no, I I like a good long title. You know, it's just I'm, it's not a good you know thing for a movie to have. You you want a short, pithy kind of you know grab you by like Jaws. That's the best title of a, sh- of a movie ever. It's just it's okay. I get it. Picture of a shark. I'm in it. I'm I'm there. Um, I, I liked this movie. I thought it was really funny. Um, you can accuse Nicolas Cage of a tremendous amount, but you can no longer accuse him of not having a sense of humor about himself. Um, and I mean, overall, I think it's good. I think it's, you know, it's well acted. It's funny. Um, what's the guy's name? Pablo, um, God damn it. <laughs> Pascal, right? Pascal, Pedro Pascal. thank you. Pedro, not Pablo. Yeah. Yes, he's a Mandalorian. Um, mm. He's phenomenal. I don't think I've seen him do a thing where he's bad. But I haven't seen him do too many things. Yeah, I mean, he was terrible in the Wonder Woman, but everybody was. He was oh, the bad guy in Wonder Woman. Right, yeah. yeah. But like... <sighs> he was just really out of place there. <laughs> well... In Wonder Woman, the the whole thing was so stupid that you know you know he 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 really leaned into that movie. He was kind of the only one. Like they were all sort of phoning it in. Like Gal Gadot's is like, listen, I'm really very pretty, and that's gonna have to be enough for you people. Well, yeah, I mean he he's a very good actor, and she's. A woman who's very good looking. So, like, they were not on the same playing field. <laughs> you know, no offense no. to her, but it's true. 
Yeah, and I, I do feel bad because, you know, I don't want to disrespect Gal Gadot as a, as a person because she seems like a very nice gal. Right. That was a totally un, unintentional pun. Um, but, you know, even, um, what's his name? Chris Pine kinds of kind you know kind of found that that movie in he was sort of in there but not really but yeah Pedro Pascal was like okay we're doing this thing you betcha no problem we're all in it and you know I kind of appreciated that he was like well, this is stupid but you know I might as well I'm here might as well they're paying me so so, so he was good in this yeah but he was very good in this um I think the movie has it, there are parts of it that are confusing, and that's sort of deliberate. I wanted it to be written by Charlie Kaufman, and it wasn't. I don't know who wrote it. I can't recall. I know. I, I know that that I didn't know the director when the name popped up at the end. I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know who that is. Okay. Um. But it it had like the wisps of a Charlie Kaufman script. You know, I kept thinking of. Ironically, adaptation, which also starts starts the Nicolas Cage, where you know it's about a guy who's supposed to write a movie based on a book about a flower, and he can't do it, and so he ends up writing a movie about a guy, you know, having to write a, a screenplay about flowers, and you know, the movie becomes the screen. Like, it's just kind of this endless loop of like you don't know what is real and what is not, and this is this kind of had vibes of that as they described the plot you know as they're like writing this weirdo fake script in, in Majorca and it becomes it just begins to happen and which was part of the theme and like you know he's try, he's he meets Nicolas Cage who's kind of at the end of his rope and he tries to like buck him up by pretending that that they're really in the movie, in some movie getting him to overact in front of him as part of his personality and yeah, the film just morphs into that at the end, and then it just becomes that at the end. Yeah, it's a it's a meta narrative, which was what adaptation was. Right. Thank you. you. Know, I couldn't a, think of the fancy word a, for it. Yeah, it's a movie about you know that was a movie about a guy. Yeah, he's trying. He was really hired to to write a book, to take the book and write a movie about this woman and flowers, and he had so much trouble that he wrote a movie about how much trouble he was having. And that one spirals out at the last 20 minutes because a character tells him, no, the only last 20 minutes of the movie are really the only thing that matters anyway. So like the last <laughs> 20 minutes of that movie has become like an action thing. Oh, he's it's like bananas. Chased, he's getting chased in the swamp by like crocodile orchid hunters or whatever. Yeah, they're, they're, they're hunting the orchids to make peyote and like, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's just insane. You know, and and that one trades on like cliches with like voiceovers at the end where they say, ah, I don't use voiceovers. Whereas this one was more like it, we're talking about what we think should happen and it's happening to them. So it's the same. It's still meta stuff. It's just a little different um, the way that it unfolds, which I didn't know that was what it was going to be about. I didn't know what it was going to be about when yeah, I saw I, the trailers for it. I It was really really badly marketed i think they were really leaning in into the whole like it's nicholas cage playing himself but a version of himself but really himself because he's so like you know he's had this really weird career 
and he gets so much <laughs> they reference it like all these conversations in the movie about how we've all been very critical of Nicolas Cage over the years and like no one can quite figure out why we all care so much about Nicolas Cage which I think is like one of the funny things in the movie and it's like like it begins like that these two you know these two teenagers who you don't really know or care about um talking about how much they love Nicolas Cage and it's insane like they're like what are they watching Con Air uh, yeah and like watching which Con is Air. undoubtedly his worst performance I think ever he's just I I haven't seen the whole movie all the way through but he's so terrible in it doing the worst southern accent ever uh, yeah and um but like people like he's he's such a unquestionably watchable guy and he's, you know, he's definitely a movie star in a lot of ways, but he also makes really weird choices for money and the weird choices for art. And, you know, he's sort of owning that bit of nonsense in this movie and kind of leaning into it to just use it to make another movie. But it wasn't clear from the trailer what exactly was going to be happening. It seemed almost like a farce in the trailer and it you know the slapstick and kind of goofy and it's not exactly that because it is rather serious and like it does the, the doesn't shy away from you know making him like people die in this movie it's not as you know it's not an insignificant thing that stuff that that that's going on yeah it, well, I, it was marketed when i saw it it was like you got the basic gist where he was playing himself he needed money this guy who really likes him was willing to pay him a bazillion dollars to come to his birthday party or something and so he goes and they get into like wacky hijinks that was what i saw it as and so like it was it was based on a comedy yeah like it was supposed to be funny so like when i'm watching it and there's the whole theme of like the girl gets kidnapped and then he ends up working for the cia and everything i was just like what is what is this supposed to be and then they start talking talking about it like you know if you wanted to make a movie because the guy who invites him over has written his own script and he's like why don't we make a movie together you know how would you get people in the door and how would you get them to make a movie about two guys struggling with their problems and all this stuff i'm like oh we're doing this like <laughs> like there's just a moment where it hits you where you realize okay this is the thing i'm now watching you know and i thought of you because you always complain about this where you're like, it was marketed one way and it was not that way, and I'm pissed off about it. You it's know? a big thing. They have an entire, um, I don't know if you call it a publication or, but like, you know, Cinema Score is literally the thing that measures that. It's, you know, did you get what you expected to get based off the marketing of the film and then, then viewing it? Right. And like films that do really poorly on that, and there aren't very many. Like most films, will score, you know, between like a B plus and an A on that. Like they 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 do it like, you know, like you're in school. Um well, it's all, you know, it's also how much did you enjoy the movie? That's part of it, but it's 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 definitely not was this a good movie. It isn't like, you know, Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic where they actually 
you know, aggregate reviews to say this is a good or this is a bad film. It's like, did you enjoy it, yes or no? And did you get what you were expecting to get? Because it's really the thing that speaks towards the marketing de- departments to say, like, because nobody wants to walk in there and see something completely different. Mm-hmm. Like, there's... There's one thing to take a movie that is about something and then it changes direction. Like Million Dollar Baby is one of those films where you think you're 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 going to watch a movie about a girl boxer, you know, girl Rocky, and you don't. There's a tragedy halfway through through the film that changes direction entirely, but it's not so out of left field, you know, and it's not performed badly enough that people were like but I don't I don't know the actual c- cinema score for that movie but it you know it's that's one thing but like I think the worst one I've heard of was that movie Mother starring um Javier Bardem and uh what do you call it oh the girl Jennifer Jennifer Lawrence Lawrence yeah like people that ended up being like a straight up allegory about global warming and People, I think, thought it was a horror film. Yeah, I thought it was a horror movie. It's, it's not. not. It's an it's an allegory, and she is Mother Earth, and Javier Bardem is God, and Javier Bardem screws everything up by making people, and like people show up at the house that they built. I think the first I think it's like Ed Harris and Rene Russo are like Adam and Eve. And they show up and they start like bringing in more people, and they just fuck everything up and it's yeah and so it was so unwelcome a thing once it was actually viewed by by the audience that it got a really i think think it was like a d or an f but um i thought this one i figured you it doesn't bother me as much when that happens but it always bothers you yeah i i guess i mean I'm, i'm trying to think of the instances where it really did kind of bug me and like Logan is one of those ones where I was I was really bothered by it in the sense that like we had just seen this guy play this character in a bunch of like sort of kid forward or teen forward you know superhero films you know rated PG-13 and the next thing you know within the first 10 minutes he's lopping all people's arms and legs and I was like I if I had known that it was a hard R with everything but nudity. And even then, you had, I think he had Patrick Stewart's bare bottom in, in, in that movie. Um, I might have been a bit more like, oh, yeah, okay. But like, I was so taken aback by it that, you know. And, and again, I like being surprised. You know, The Matrix, American Beauty, these, those are all big surprise movies. But at the same time, it was, it was, it was still kind of like... Well, I think that I think in this is that it was the tone I wasn't sure. I knew it would, you know, I knew it wasn't going to be a horror movie or anything like that. That that rarely happens, but like the first act of this movie is a little all over the place because I'm not exactly sure like what the tone like what is this? It's supposed to be a com like I'm going in like all right, I think this is a comedy. And there was it was it had funny parts to it. And then the meta stuff doesn't come in until about, you know, a third of the way through and I was like, "Oh, like now you can like sort of adjust your expectations. I'm like, oh, okay, this is what we're going to be watching. So some parts of it are going to be stretched out, like when they're on acid, and there's an entire scene with them driving around, and they think they're being followed, and it's supposed to be played for laughs. 
And you're like, this is just supposed to be a thing for, for yucks, you know, like, okay. And then there's like, when the CIA people call him and they're like deadly serious, <laughs> you know, and the whole tone changes, but in your brain, you're going, this is supposed to be part of the plot of their stupid movie as well. So you're like, the, the tones that are meshing are okay because it's supposed to be a commentary on, on what is actually happening. Yeah. You know? I just think it wasn't as funny as it thought it was. So I'm like, this is okay. Like at the end of the movie, it's like, that was okay. But I thought it was going to be funnier. And it had some really funny parts, but a lot of it was not funny. And I was just like, that's kind of a bummer. Yeah. And watching him overact and commenting on the times that he's overacted, you know, like when he's watching TV on the airplane and he gets a clip of The Rock, you know, like, hey, remember The Rock? Like, yes, I do. But that in itself to me is not hilarious either. Because I don't know what he was doing. He was just overacting or whatever. He was being Nicolas Cage, which is, you know, a force. But that in itself is not funny. So I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah, the humor kind of came out in... It it, it seemed more random than I think it should have been. Like, there wasn't any sort of, like, sustained bit of comedy. There was just... Like, the one guy who was consistently funny was the male FBI agent. Everything that guy said, you know, was gen- was genuinely pretty hilarious. Like, you know, like, no, I'm a 44 year old man. I I didn't see Crudes too. Yeah. You know, it's like just his 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 reaction to like the insanity of the whole thing. You know, like because the 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 black girl Vivian seems to kind of have bought into the whole thing. Like she's kind of a lump, but he's kind of like outside of it, kind of commenting like, this is all kind of insane that Nicolas Cage is helping us track down this Mallorcan arms dealer. Right? This is crazy. And like, so it was. Yeah, because she she just makes that call right on her own. Like I'm going to use Nicolas Cage because he just happens to be walking by and going to the arms dealer's house. And he's like, you can't just drag civilians into this sting operation. I'm sitting there like I'm pretty sure you can't do that, especially without their knowledge. But uh, okay, <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's not. So, yeah, it was, anything you could do. The jokes were sort of like spread out too much. So when they hit, I was like, oh yeah, this was supposed to be funny, right? <laughs> yeah, and it, yeah, it just, I'm yeah, I guess like it, it, it kind of thought it was funnier than it was. It kind of thought it was cleverer than it was. And, but that isn't to say it wasn't good. It was good. It's just like, I felt like it meandered too at times. I think the prop, yeah. I mean, that whole scene where they're on acid is ridiculous and doesn't really need to be there. And it, it, it also didn't go very far, too. Well, I, you know, I was just about to say, I appreciated that we didn't see things from their point of view where like the world looks like it's upside down. They're just <laughs> acting silly. Yeah. Which is which is funnier, I think. You know, like uh, as an example, when we remember we watched that horrible movie Book Smart. Yeah, and the two girls are high or something, and they like yeah. imagine themselves as like Barbie dolls. That that's dumb, but also like I'm not on drugs, so <laughs> you know I don't care what it looks like to them. But to watch them acting strange in a room of normal people, like Nicholas Cage and the other guy are sitting there, and they think these two pe- two people sitting there eating ice cream are following them. Yeah, 
and they're acting strange and you're laughing at how silly they're behaving. Like that to me is funnier than like seeing a weird haze and you know, everything's rainbow colored. Like I don't want to see it from their point of view. Yeah, no, it didn't need to go all like, you know, Willy Wonka. But at the yeah, same that's... time, I kind of wanted a little bit of something, even if it was like really subtle. Like the subtle thing about that, which was kind of funny, was that they were looking at those two guys that were not following them, but were just eating, eating ice cream. And then they like ran away and saw like, oh my God, it's the same two guys, but they're two very similar looking guys. Similar looking guys. That's what makes <laughs> it funny. Because like, oh my God, they're still right there. And I'm like, those, those aren't the same people. <laughs> So like if there was more stuff like that, but there wasn't, you know. So like I I didn't need a giant purple dinosaur, but a, a couple of weird things like that that would you would understandably get why they'd be confused. But it was just the two of them talking to each other for a few minutes about, and even comments about how like you know no I don't want to do a movie where like these two guys just talk to each other and be funny like that or try and be funny like that. Right. Um, like they actually comment on what they were doing right there. I go, yeah, that wouldn't be very funny. And son of a gun, that's what you're doing right now. Right. Like pointing it out is like explaining the joke. That doesn't always work. Yeah. I, I think the problem with it is that in the beginning, you're not exactly sure what the issue is with Nicolas Cage. It seems to be a collection of problems, you know, because He's dealing with his ex-wife and his daughter that don't, they don't get along, but you're also being told by the therapist or whatever that it's him. He comes on too strong. He he's his love for things. Like he's trying to like explain his love for everything. And it just, to them, it feels like he's dumping everything, his personality on them. Right. Then you also get the idea that he's not working. He needs the money. But also he works so much that they don't take him seriously as a movie star because he has images of himself when he was young arguing with him. Like yeah. the young Nicolas Cage is like, you're a movie star. You don't take random roles and, and weird indies. You don't do that stuff. You're in Con Air, for God's sakes, and all that other stuff. So like, I didn't know what the issue was there. And then when he goes to Spain to be at the guy's party, he's like, like, I don't want to be here. I'm hungover. I'm, I just want to be this. I'll be that. I don't want to act anymore. I'm like, what is the, what is the issue here? What, what is the main problem Nicholas Cage is having? <laughs> because it's important. It's important to know when you're writing a story, what the, what the motivation of doing anything is like, what is he, what is it he's trying to do? Does he need the money? Is he trying to repair his relationship? You know, so like that's all kind of fuzzy. And then once they start working on the on the script quote that they're, you know, quote unquote, that they're going to write together, then I like had a narrative that I could follow. I was like, okay, he's just helping the CIA people and he kind of gets along with this guy and they're becoming friends. Now I have something to latch on to. But before that, I'm just kind of like, he's Nicholas caging everywhere. I don't understand. Yeah. It's basically just doesn't doesn't have a <coughs> oh, excuse me a plot till about like two thirds in basically like they they you're you're starting to get to one that's coalescing about halfway through and even then it's like you know it it all comes together in that third act when like the family shows up and everyone's scared and it just becomes an action movie and all the problems about you know him as a professional actor go away when he just 
does what he does and acts in a in an action movie and like the whole introspective part of the movie is is it is over at that point. Well, yeah. yeah. And I'm not sure because you know it's not he's not really Nicolas Cage. He's like a, an exaggerated version of himself. But he has done a lot of different kinds of movies, action movies and introspective things and dramas and all this other stuff. So like I'm not sure if he's like upset about that or if he wants to do more or less of, of something different. So I was just like, I, I don't understand what the issue is here. And the next thing you know, there he's on the plane to Spain. And I was like, okay, he needs the money. Right. But you know, that's why that was like at the same point where I was like, I don't know what this movie is about. <laughs> yeah. Am I supposed to be laughing at him or feeling sorry for him? Like, what am I supposed to feel exactly? And I was like, Oh, they're doing a thing. Okay. <laughs> and then I kind of like settled down and got into it. Yeah. You know. But what what is that, what happens at the end? I wasn't entirely clear. Like the transition was was good, I thought. Like, you know, they're like they're in like the final gun battle scene in the streets of Majorca. And like the the daughter throws the knife to him and he stabs <laughs> yeah. the guy in the chest. And I know. It, and in that moment... It, it switches um, to a movie. Yeah, it becomes the movie. And I'm like, oh, that's really clever. And then not, like all of a sudden his, his wife is Demi Moore. <laughs> and like it's... And like the weird like running scene with the daughter with like no bra on, like <laughs> so slow motion boobs. Like, uh, yeah. That's supposed like, to be the... They, they ended up making the movie of what happened well right i understand that but like did he actually stab the guy like how do they get out of that situation because the last you you see um pedro pascal's character he's been shot like he gets like wounded in the leg or something and you don't see him again you just see nicholas cage and the other guy he's confronting he's like being held by the bad guy and then he tosses him the knife. He turns around, and stabs him, and like, I guess we're to believe that's what really happened. Well, well, yeah, I guess the idea is that you're not really supposed to know. Well, but, clearly, but he did. <laughs> but he did drive. So in the in the real version, he drove into like the embassy. So they were surrounded by cops with guns, like they were trying to escape the country. And then when it switches to the movie, they're like in the town square, like they're just. <laughs> Just in somewhere random. Oh, I must have missed that. Okay. Yeah. And there are cops, but like they're not like embassy cops or whatever. They're just regular like police. So like in real life, I think they, the guy got arrested by embassy police. And in the movie, it's like this dramatic, like you know, it looks like St. Mark's Square in Venice or something kind of thing where like the knife is his only hope. You know? <laughs> yeah. All right. so it's just like, like the exaggerated version of that. Because I found myself sort of tuning out a bit at points and like, turn, like looking at my phone and then like it was getting late. So like, all right, well I'll watch the rest of this as I'm doing the dishes. Cause it doesn't seem to require a lot of intense concentration and I can probably get away with just looking at it over here, but I can, I missed a key detail there. So that probably mm. makes more sense. I drove into the embassy. Hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. The, the action scenes, um, were okay. I think that was the best joke of the movie when, uh, he dresses like that that crime lord and nobody knows what he looks like. So they put uh, Nicolas Cage in like the prosthetics and the 
the beard, you know, because he's like, well, I'll just dress like the crime lord so I can figure out where they're holding our daughter and stuff like that. And it's not until he kind of gets caught and Nicolas Cage like grabs the gun dealer and he's like, I'll blow your freaking head off or whatever. And the crime goes, oh, Nicolas Cage. Like he realizes who it is. Because <laughs> <laughs> Nicolas Cage is like overacting. And he goes, that's right. It's Nicolas F. and Cage, you know. I was like, that's pretty good. That's how you would feel. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> this idiot. You know? that, that's how you would feel. I can totally identify with that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But 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 those kind of jokes were, uh, were, were few and far between. But at least they all had some sort of bearing on everything. Because, like, when they're talking about the shoes and they swap shoes. Yeah. And then they have to run across without getting shot. And the guy says, like, you have my footwear. You should do it. You've got the better shoes on now, you know? <laughs> he goes, I've seen your stunt, man. I, I know that wasn't really you running. He goes, oh, you got me. You know, like, uh-huh. they, they came back around, which was cute. They're just yeah, very many. Yeah, they were, it, it, like, oh, it was sort of like screenwriting 101 for, like, you'd see, like, the knife fall down. Like, oh, I wonder what that's going to be later on. And, yeah, and I kept thinking that, too, because uh, they didn't use it right away. It oh, took a it yeah, took a while yeah. to get back to it, yeah. Yeah. But um. Yeah, no, it was it was what was interesting was watching the. You know some of the. Random clips from his movies. They were interspersed throughout. Like I was like the ones that they picked were kind of interesting. So there was there was Con Air. There was Guarding Test that I forgot about. Guarding tests. Um, what else do they have in there? They had a short one from The Rock. Um, Which part of The Rock? I don't remember that. Uh, it was quick. He was he was on the airplane, and they mentioned something. Oh about right, him. right. He was yeah. yelling at Sean Connery or something. You know, yeah. they they had like the, the shrine. They had that shrine for him. So they had like the face off statue with the two guns. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it's great. You say it's hideous. I'll buy it for you for $20,000. I'll buy it from you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he's done a lot, you know? And I, I think reviews, when reviews were coming out, they were like, it depends how much you like Nicolas Cage is how much you're going to like this movie, which I don't think is true, but I think you get a little bit more to it if you've known some of those movies, you know? Yeah. I mean, look, you've got two choices or really three, you could appreciate him ironically. You can appreciate him actually, honestly, or you can kind of do both. And I'm sort of kind of in the doing it both ways camp. Because every so often, like, he'll make a movie where he's really good. Or you look back and you go, huh, yeah, this guy made a Charlie Coffin movie and he, he was really good. He played two characters in that movie. You know, he did Leaving Las Vegas. And, you know, Mandy is supposed to be a really good movie. I don't think I want to see it because it looks ridiculous and kind of insane and terrifying. But, like, it's supposed to be, like, sort of like one of these, like, sleeper films that he's made that are that are really good. And, like, I don't know of another actor who's made such different movies but also just been different people. Like played such wildly different characters. People tend to stick within a 
you know, a niche and they sort of, even if the film changes somewhat, even if they stretch as an actor, they kind of tend to play within a certain wheelhouse. And he doesn't do that. He, you know, he went through a, like a straightforward phase, like with guarding Tess, which was a, you know, not a complex movie. It was a, one of these, you know, mid nineties, trying to think of a film to compare it to like Dave or um, Driving Miss Daisy where you just like it was a simple straightforward story about people trying to deal with each other kind of a thing you know like unusual circumstances but ultimately about you know human connection um, and then Con Air and then The Rock where he becomes an a, like a legitimate action star and you know, and then you go back to wait. You know, the, where there's like Moonstruck and Raising Arizona, where it's like the Coen Brothers, and it's a weird comedy. And like, can you think of anybody else who's made such a wide range of stuff? I I can't. I I think what it is is that he goes a hundred and ten percent, no matter what it is he's doing. You know, so like, he'll do those movies like guarding tests where he's playing a really normal person down to earth kind of thing. And then he'll turn around and do the wicker man or, you know, ghost rider. <laughs> oh God. He did ghost rider too. I you mean, know, he made so many, one of my, his, one, his, one of my f- favorites of his is matchstick men with, uh, with Sam Rockwell, which is a great movie. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's not like he, you know, other people do this. It's just that when he does it, it's like no matter how dumb the thing is, he's gonna do it, you know. Because you've seen actors who like boning it in, and um, like they know they're doing a bad movie, and even if he knows he's doing a bad movie, he doesn't care. So yeah. people always look at it like, "Oh, he only did it for the money." Yeah, no crap. That's what they're all doing it for. I know they'd all say that they, you know, they do it for free. I'm sure a lot, I'd say about half of them wouldn't. You will get the actors like if I lived in a box, I'd be happy. I'd just be happy to to live and act. Like yeah, that's true. But a lot of them want to make a lot of money, you know. So he can be in Face Off and do the best job he possibly can, where he's like, everyone's like he's overacting. No, sometimes he's sometimes he is. Sometimes he's not because the role is stupid. Anybody would have been overacting in that role. It's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's no subtle way to play that character. Right. Like, I mean, I don't understand how you do it. And then he can turn around and be in Pig, where he's just the heartbroken guy living in the woods who's a chef. You know, that was a great movie. He was great in that. He was really good in that movie. And people were like, wow, Nicolas Cage is great. No, he's he's a good actor. He's like that. It's just that his he's giving it his all in everything. Whereas, you know, you've seen other actors sort of phone it in when they know it's kind of dumb. So. That's a big difference between him and like he'll make choices in those kinds of dumb movies where most actors wouldn't make a choice at all. <laughs> they would just read the lines. Yeah, and I think like so. I remember I, I've heard the story about Michael Caine a few times. How like you know he he would he he makes so many movies and he like used to be up for all these these awards that he oftentimes would miss the award ceremony where he was being honored at something. You know, for some you know actor award because he was off making another movie that nobody would ever see like he makes made so many movies in his time and the brits have a different you know style of acting that 
lends itself to that, I think. Like, they don't take it too seriously. I always think of the... Is it, yeah, it's um, Lawrence... Oh, God. Yeah, um... Uh, what's it called? Uh, Marathon Man with uh, with uh, Lauren, Lauren, uh, Lawrence Olivier and um, Dustin Hoffman. And Hoffman's a crazy person, kind of like Nicolas Cage. And he would like stay up for three days without sleep just to play a scene where he's a guy who hasn't slept in three days. And Olivier is just like, why don't you just try acting? Like, just pretend to do this for a few minutes. And... British actors can get away with doing so many movies that are really kind of different and varied because they're not varying themselves that much, and they're just they're just pretending. They have a very much a punch your time card kind of mentality about it. He has the same work ethic in terms of the volume of work that he does, but you're right, he just doesn't know how to dial it back or save any of it for like the great performances. He just he kind of leaves it all out on the field, which is commendable. It it really is. Yeah. You I mean, know, it, 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 maybe he's just having fun. I don't know. I'm not there. <laughs> I think, like, it might be apt to say that he's not an actor who is better than the material. Like, he's not a bad actor. But he's not better than the material, generally. You know... There are some actors that kind of come in. Like, I think we talked about Sean Connery like this. Like, you know, Sean Connery makes your movie like 25% better, I think was what you said. I thought that was really kind of funny and, and, and true. Like, you know, the movie Entrapment is a really stupid movie with Catherine Zeta-Jones where she's supposed to play a thief of some kind. It doesn't really make any sense because she's really a good guy, but also a thief. And who doesn't fucking matter? But, you know, you need to bring, like, you know, get the get the old thief out of retirement for one last heist kind of a thing. Let's, let's get James Bond to play that part. That's fine. That sounds like a good idea. And, like, I remember watching Chapman going, this is okay, because Sean Connery was in it. No other reason. Also, Catherine Zeta-Jones is behind, was featured in one scene quite prominently. Um, But that that's not necessarily true of Nicolas Cage. Like... You know, he's good, and he'll be as good as as the part that as it's written. But he doesn't elevate necessarily. He can, but it's not a guarantee. Yeah, he he's doing his own thing. That's why, like sometimes, it doesn't always work. You know, him him making choices and acting to the fullest is not going to make the movie any better. Yeah, you know, if the movie already stinks, so. Yeah, like no one saw Ghost Rider. It didn't matter, like you know, if you know, if if you had put, you know, Sean Connery in Ghost Rider, it might have been better. But you know, we didn't. Yeah, that's the thing. Like he, like he'll he'll do these things where like you'll watch Face Off and be like, oh, he's making choices here. Okay, he's gonna play this as insane as he possibly can. But the rest of the movie's so terrible, it really doesn't help. Yeah. So you're like. I don't care what he does because everything else is so awful. <laughs> you know? So, you know, that's so when, when people say like, they're always surprised that he did a good job or something like that. Like, well, you're really not paying close enough attention, you know, especially when the guy does so many different kinds of films. Yeah. You know? Do you have like a top three favorite Nicolas Cage 
performances? Uh, well, definitely The Rock. Um, I really enjoyed. Um, I really enjoyed Pig. Obviously, he was great in Pig. Um, I really enjoyed him in The Family Man. Uh. <laughs> you ever see that where he plays like this womanizing jerk, and then he gets into this alternate reality where he's married to, uh, and he's living like you know some girl. He's living a middle class existence, and he has to like learn to be a good guy. He was good in that. It was one of those. Um, uh, what do you call it? Um, like what if kind of a things. Uh, yeah, because then he comes yeah. out of it at the end, and he has to take that with him as he lives. You know, he was good in adaptation. Yeah, but there was just as many terrible ones. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm, I'm looking at his filmography just on like Wikipedia right now, and holy cow, a lot of direct-to-video. In, in you here. gotta pay the you gotta pay the bills. You yeah you really do. You know, it's like a lot of movie. Uh, I mean, he movies. was he was bad in City of Angels. Oof. Oh well, I don't yeah. know if anybody could. Uh, but that's not that. a that's not a good movie. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. Like he's not making that movie any better. Yeah, if anything, Dennis Franz made that movie better. And he's only yeah. eight minutes. <laughs> I was um, like, hey, Zippowitz, all right. <laughs> um, all right, so let's uh, so top three um Nicolas Cage performances, and then I also want to want to look at top three Nicolas Cage movies because that's sort of a different thing. So performances, I'm gonna give it to um. Uh, where did it go? Snake Eyes, which um, I thought he was really good in that movie. Um, so Snake Eyes, Matchstick Men, and Adaptation, I think will be my, like my top three. Like this is sort of peak Nicolas Cage. Like you know, no one else could have played that part. I think it, you know, I think they all they all really work really well. Um. Snake Eyes is actually a Brian De Palma movie, and it's fantastic. It's it's one of those point of view movies where like you want you you see the same thing happen from different points of view, and it's uh, it's him and Gary Sinise and um, Carla Carla Gugino. It's it's a one of the, one of these like random movies that got made, kind of like Magic Men, that really didn't get a lot of play. Like some of his movies got huge huge press at the time. You know, guarding test. You know, uh, kiss of death. You know, leaving La- leaving Las Vegas. I think he did. He win the Oscar for that. Or was nominated. I think he was nominated. Yeah, and then the the Rock, Con Air, Face Off, City of Angels, Eight Millimeter, Bringing Out the Dead, which was um, I think Scorsese. Um, like there, there was this string from like 1994 all the way. Yeah, pretty much to 2000 where he made just a ton of very popular movies or movies that were, you know, you know, um, uh, you know, just helmed by really great directors and were just interesting choices and such. And then, like, he makes a lot of other crap. National Treasure I like in terms of, like, a goofy nonsense kind of a thing. I never saw that one. 
And then Lord of War, I am told, is very good. I have never seen it, but um, it's supposed to be really good. And then, like, favorite movies of his, I think, would be The Rock. Um, probably Matchstick Men, which is also one of those performance ones I, I listed. And I want to say Pig. I think he was. I think Pig. Pig was better than him, but he was really good in Pig. You know, and and I think he was really good in Pig, mostly because we were all kind of surprised that he kind of still had it in him to make a quiet movie, and he was extraordinarily quiet in that movie. And uh, yeah, so that's my thought. Oh, no, you did a good job. Yeah. And um, if you need to get more Nicolas Cage, you should watch this because there's a lot of them in it. <laughs> yes, this is all Nicolas Cage all the time. Yeah, so. I enjoyed Pedro Pascal though. He's he's a guy. oh, he's a delight. You know, he's so yeah. earnest looking. <laughs> yeah, you just, just want to be his buddy. You know, like <laughs> yeah, I I think that the relationship that they have happens rather quickly. Like they become best buds when they watch like Paddington too. And um, I think a lot of that is just because Pedro Pascal like has this vulnerability to him where he's like, I just want you to like me. Like I want Nicolas Cage to like me, you know? So you kind of buy into that where you're like, yeah, don't, don't you want to be his friend? He's a nice guy. You know, gun runner kind of guy. Yeah. Well, he, yeah. You he, want them to be friends. You know, like he's, he's perfectly cast in this because like, He's just enigmatic enough that you go, maybe he is an international gun dealer. Like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, because like when he says too, like, I wrote, you know, he looks like every nerd who's ever read, written a screenplay and just <laughs> mailed it to an agent in the hopes that they will show it to someone that they like. Like, well, what'd you think? You don't have to tell me, but I just want to know if. What, how you feel about my screenplay? And Nicholas Cage is like, I didn't even know you wrote a screenplay. You know, <laughs> that's a that's a very common thing. So he he plays that really well. Yeah, yeah. I also kind of like uh, um, Neil Patrick Harris in this. Oh, that's right. He's been doing a lot of these low key things lately. I think this is kind of his wheelhouse when it comes. Like, you know, like it's kind of like what he did in. Harold and Kumar, like just kind of showing up, being a little bit funny, a little bit kind of quirky and eccentric. Um, but he's he's very hard to sort of to cast in movies. I don't know what it is about him. Like he was, I mean, to us he's Barney. He'll he'll always be Barney. That's just like we you know we basically spent our twenties watching. Neil Patrick Harris do one very specific character very well for a long period of time. Um, and then after that, it was just like, you know, there was uh, the Murdering Girl Lady movie where oh, he gets Gone killed. Girl. Gone Girl, thank you. I couldn't think of the name of that. And, um, you know, he just hasn't, I mean, he's, he's, he's had far more success on, on Broadway than he has doing anything else. I mean, he was just in a production of Into the Woods at uh, New York City Center. It's like a, if a show is going to come to Broadway, they're going to do like a test run over at 
at City Center, and they'll 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 do it with uh, people who are famous there, and maybe bring the show back to the actual like for a, you know for a long run. Um, and uh, you know he's you know he he did he did uh, Hedwig and Hedwig and Hedwig and the Angry Inch, and just like you know did the Tonys a couple of years, and that seems to be where he's very comfortable. Like he's you know so engaging a person on a stage, and that's kind of what Barney was in a way. He, he was so overdoing it compared to everybody else that it was very theatrical, whereas the rest of that show was like, you know, Ted is so sort of grounded and down to earth, and, you know, the, the, the his shenanigans in that show worked for him because he's, you know, he's a very over-the-top kind of a comedy presence. So to see him here is like, yeah, he's funny, but it's, Kind of subdued and sort of boring, almost straightforward. I don't know what the, what the what the right word is. Um, well, he's understated. I mean, he's not doing the whole um, Barney thing. I mean, yeah. Harold and Kumar was like his big comeback because I remember seeing him in that when I, I saw that movie in theaters, and it was so out there because if I, by that point, I mean he was only Doogie Hauser. No one knew him for anything else. Yeah, and and here he is humping the back of the the chair, and he's on drugs, and it's like a leather jacket. You're like, what is Dookie Hauser doing? And then he got the role as Barney mostly because of that, where he was this sex maniac for eight or nine years or whatever. And then he was trying to parlay that into like everything else he did. He had his own game show. He was hosting things constantly. Like he was just in your face you know, like entertaining guy. Like he wanted to do like variety work. Like he could juggle, he could do magic, you know, he could do all that stuff. But I think he, I don't want to say wore out his welcome, but I think he was just too much. Like he's not good in those roles of being like the center of attention kind of thing. So when he's sort of off to the side, it's a little bit better. So like, like when he was in the matrix and he was like the bad guy in the matrix, yeah he was still doing like this i'm not and like he wasn't in it all that much he had the one scene where he's explaining everything and then he's there at the end you know and like that was enough you didn't need any more of him if he was in it constantly i'd be like why is dookie hauser in the matrix <laughs> you know yeah same with this like he's just his agent and he gets a line or two and that's about it um i think he's used best that way I yeah, I think say, so. you know, I don't want to say his range is not very good, but it's not as it's not as it's more limited than he probably thinks it is. I mean, he's sort of I mean, I'm looking at his filmography. It's you know, he's worked a tremendous amount. Oh, sure. I'm sure I don't know what I'm talking about, so. No, but like it's all <laughs> stuff that like it's most it's, he did a lot of like bit parts on TV shows. A, you know, like Harold and like so, like the first thing that I that I like in as far as his movies that that I that I recognize is Harold and Kumar. That's that's two thousand four. He does Doogie Howser until ninety three, and then guest stars on Everything Under the Sun until two thousand and four, and then. He he gets how much your mother the next year, but he did a tremendous amount of work on literally every TV show you could think of. You know everything from Blossom to Roseanne to Quantum Leap. 
Murder, sure. She Wrote, all the way up to um, Ed, that show that used to film in the in, in the town we grew up in. You know, he was oh, out yeah. like, the bowling alley. That's right. Yeah, like he Lucky Bowl. <laughs> you know, and it's called Lucky Bucky something. Stucky, Stucky, Bowl, Stucky. Right? Yeah, Stucky yeah, Bowl. Yeah, that's right. Where, where, where I used to time. go bowling years ago. Yeah, say we used to go bowling there. Yeah, bowl at the Stucky Bowl. You know, touched by an angel. You know, and then a tremendous amount of voiceover work as well. Um, yeah, he still does that. But yeah. he was always just Doogie Howser. I mean, nobody knew him from Roseanne. Right, that was the thing. So, like, you know, he, you know, he he had that one big part. He was very good on it. It was kind of a quirky concept, and it ran for four years, which is not a not an insig an an, an insignificant length of time. Um, but then, yeah, then, then he gets Barney, and then you're right, like nothing. Yeah, Barney worked so well because it was so broad. And that's what he's good at. He's good at broad. And film doesn't reward that. TV doesn't really reward that. You know, like that's what makes how 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 I how I met your mother really unique was that it was broad. And it, you know, it it had broad broad humor that was kind of over the top and goofy and you know, it was not a studio audience show. It was all they had so many cutaways and things like that that it really didn't work to have the audience there. So they were, it was a tightly controlled show. Whereas like Big Bang Theory, like the audience is such a part of it that like you have to negotiate the kind of jokes you tell in that environment because you're relying on a bunch of people to laugh at the same thing for 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know... Nothing else is gonna. Nothing film is gonna come up. Is gonna come along again to do that for him. And so, I wish him the best. <laughs> but like, I think he 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 was at his peak when he was playing Barney. And I think also at the t- at the Tonys. I think he's you know he's been a wonderful host for things. He's just so personable. And he's also like insane. Like I remember watching this thing on TikTok a while ago where it's like. So I was like, I don't think we've given enough credit to the uh, 67th annual Tony Awards where he just did the most insane opening number of all time where everybody was in it. And like they never actually rehearsed the whole thing all the way through because they couldn't get Mike Tyson to be there on time when he was like doing his one man show on Broadway. And so like they threw this insane number together in like, um, like, you know, ostensibly two months, but really about an hour and a half. And like that's the kind of stuff that you know that that will stick in my head as being what Neil Patrick Harris does well. This kind of stuff can be fun. It can be funny, like the whole beating him with with you know with reeds or whatever. Like that bit was funny, but that was it. That was you know. Yeah. But anyway, it's <laughs> <laughs> my, my Neil Patrick Harris tangent. I guess you just had to get that off your chest, huh? Uh, apparently. It was it was it was on there. All right. Well, if you guys out there have any thoughts about the the unbearable weight of massive talent, you should let us know on Twitter or Instagram. We are at three drinks and pods on three drinks and pod on both. Uh, you can tell us on Facebook. You can email us at three drinks and podcast at gmail dot com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Leave ratings and reviews. Buy all the merchandise at tpublic dot com. Anything else? Uh, nope. All right. As always, please drink responsibly. We'll talk to you all next time. Bye-bye. Bye.